0: Hey guys, what are you up to this week? Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I have a great guest, Regina Poppy, and we met on Facebook in a gallbladder support group. Last year, I had emergency gallbladder surgery when basically my gallbladder exploded inside of me. And I was reaching out to different people wondering, had anybody been through this pregnant? Insert, about a hundred people. And I thought we have to do an episode on it. So thank you, Regina, for raising your hand and offering to tell your gallbladder story where she received surgery while pregnant. It is so interesting and such a beautiful birth story. So let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does a day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi, my best friends call me Hides. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them, and you, deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions birth story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings, and of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story. I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Hey guys, before we get started, I just wanted to share with you a little bit about Melissa Euler and Melissa Euler coaching. She is my executive coach. And if you didn't catch her birth stories, rewind a couple of episodes and start at the beginning. So Melissa is a former finance executive turned life and leadership coach. And she's really passionate about helping women thrive. Let me tell you about how I met Melissa. I had left corporate America after 15 years, making lots and lots of money, much more than my partner. And I was feeling that urge inside to like shift, to change. My son had just been diagnosed with cerebral palsy and I felt like I needed to be home, but I also felt like I needed to be at work doing something. So Melissa helped me get really focused and creative and polish what eventually became Birth Story Media. A couple of months after I quit corporate America to take care of my child and perhaps grow a business, I found out I was going to be a single mother. My marriage was ending and I was so thankful for Melissa Euler and Melissa Euler coaching because she helped me grow a business in less than two years to a six-figure income. If you are feeling that nagging feeling inside of you that your life needs a shift to, maybe just a focus or a transition in your life as you're entering maybe motherhood for the first time or motherhood again, then I urge you to reach out to Melissa Euler. She has an amazing Thriving Mothers Group coaching program, And she starts everything with a discovery call. So you can book a 30-minute discovery call to get a taste for what it's like to work with Melissa. And if you book a discovery call and mention that you heard all about Melissa from my Birth Story podcast, she is going to give you a free one-on-one coaching session added to any package that you may purchase. That's a $200 value. Trust me. I pay it weekly. It is worth every dime. So all you ambitious women out there listening to this podcast, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Maybe you have your own business. Maybe you're in corporate America. Maybe you've been dreaming about what's next in this next chapter. You're juggling a lot of things. I know. I was too. So I urge you to reach out to Melissa if you are on the brink of change and look for that extra support and encouragement in her she will help you reach your goals with ease. I promise. All right, let's get to it. Hey, Regina, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast.
1: How are you? Hey, I'm great, Heidi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited.
0: I am too. Well, I reached out to you last summer because this episode is going to be all about the gallbladder and the gallbladder during pregnancy. And I had a spontaneous, like, I don't know if it was a rupture of my gallbladder, but like massive, massive attack. And I got, I went to emergency surgery and in the oh, gall, wow. yeah, it was, I was, I don't want to be offensive on this podcast, but I will say I had natural childbirth <laughs> and I had a gallbladder attack. And one of those things is worse than the other one, the gallbladder. So, because there's no break, right? Like there's no right. break from the pain. So I was in this gallbladder group on Facebook trying to figure out like, what is a gallbladder? How did it go? What do you eat? All these things. And I found Regina Poppy. And I am so excited to have you here today because you had surgery while you were pregnant. Yes. What a whirlwind. Yeah. I can't even. Okay. So Regina, tell us all about you.
1: So I'm living in Blacksburg, Virginia. It's very cold and icy and nasty here. So I'm a little bummed, but that's what happens when you live in the mountains. And currently I work with Avila Herbals. It's a local company here in town. My husband's a coach and that's what brought us here. I've got a five-year-old, he just turned five yesterday, son named Kai. Then I also have a six-week-old baby, another boy. His name is Caden. So life has been quite interesting since his birth and obviously with everything that happened while I was pregnant. So that's just a little bit about where I'm at.
0: So five years old and a six-week-old. That's a spread. Did you mean to do that? Um, No, we did
1: not. Funny backstory, but we didn't think we were able to have any more kids. So we just let it be that we were happy with our son hi and then covid hit my husband got a pretty decent break from work then i started thinking i was coming down with covid and lo and behold i was pregnant instead
0: <laughs> wow okay so, so you delivered 6 weeks ago and we're recording this in february when did you get pregnant
1: it was in april mid april
0: in april so very soon after
1: v- the very pandemic. soon. and like i said i just thought i was getting covid so
0: yeah. <laughs> Hashtag COVID baby, you know, (laughs) tell me a little bit of your backstory though. Why did you not think you could have another baby?
1: With Kai, we got pregnant with IUI. Mm -hmm. Um, Luckily it was second round of IUI. We got pregnant with him and we waited about two years, try to get pregnant naturally again. Didn't happen. We decided to try IUI again. We went through four rounds and still nothing so basically, our fertility specialist said IVF would probably be the next step, and we both knew in our hearts that we just that just wasn't a path for us that we wanted to go down. So, through lots of prayer and just you know knowing that if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, we just decided that we would just leave it be, and we started packing up baby stuff. And it was you know kind of bittersweet thinking that we could only have one, and then a couple of weeks later is when when I found out I was pregnant. So that was very, very
0: surprising. (laughs) Yeah, what a surprise. Okay, so I have to ask you more questions about this fertility journey because this just hits home with a lot of people that are listening. A lot of people I'm friends with, a lot of my dual clients. Right. Did you go into discovery mode before Kai's IUI or afterwards? Like, was there a known like PCOS or motility with the sperm or like, did you ever have a a reason you could hold on to as to why you didn't originally get pregnant?
1: No, we didn't. And I think that was probably the most frustrating part. I would always go back and forth, like, would I want something to be wrong with me? So at least I know why we couldn't get pregnant, or is it easier with what they were calling unexplained infertility, where everything was fine on my end, all the testing, my eggs were great. I had lots of big egg reserve. My husband's sperm was where it needed to be. Timing was, was right. And it just wasn't happening. So it was for us a little more frustrating, not knowing that something was wrong, even though, you know, if something were wrong, it still could be unfixable. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of a double-edged sword.
0: Well, it says something about your marriage that you got pregnant when it was not planned or expected. I always think that's wonderful. I'm like, you know, people are still having sex when they like each other. Right. <laughs> like,
1: absolutely. This is a we good joked, thing. <laughs> right. We joke that maybe my husband just did have a highly stressful job. And when he did get that break, you know, it just happened a lot easier when you're not putting the pressure on it.
0: It can be that simple, right? Like, Fertility can be very complicated, but it can often be as simple as cortisol level um, in our male partner. So Right. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> it is so, so crazy. I mean, here we are. <laughs> Yay. Do you have a birth control plan now, though? Because now you might have another one. I know, it's
1: funny. My husband said, this is the last one. And I said, well, I guess you can get your vasectomy now.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, you're six weeks postpartum, which tells me that you're very fertile right now, even though you just said earlier that you were breastfeeding and that you had just nursed. But I have a lot of doula clients that got pregnant at three, four, five, and six weeks postpartum. So No, it
1: makes me nervous. I'm already sweating.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When I do my postpartum visits with my doula clients, it's one of the line items in our postpartum checklist is, do you have a plan to get pregnant or not get pregnant? Because we need to talk about it. You know,
1: (laughs) I mean, I'd love to get hired
0: again right away, but...
1: Good job security. (laughs) Yes, it
0: is. Okay. Well, I'm so curious and fascinated to hear this story. Hanging behind you are all of these wonderful jerseys. I'm going to come to the conclusion that you're a fit person. <laughs> so... I try to be. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about like your fitness and nutrition journey, since we're going to talk about the gallbladder.
1: Right. So I'm a fairly fit person. I play in a, a few volleyball leagues here in town since I was a former volleyball coach. It's just something in my nature, and for me, I'd much rather be active playing a sport than going to the gym lifting weights. Nutrition-wise, I feel like I eat fairly healthy, lots of fruits and veggies, especially once I found out I was pregnant. I was pounding the water, really making sure I was hitting my protein mark, just checking all the boxes to make sure me and baby were getting the nutrients that we needed throughout pregnancy. So I would say pretty fit. Before pregnancy as well as during pregnancy.
0: Fair to say you had a low-fat diet? Yes,
1: fairly low-fat. Although I guess when you start talking about fats, there's good fats and not good fats. So right. I did have a lot of good fats in my diet, but fairly you know, low-fat on the other end.
0: Right. So like more avocado, less... Right. Fried chicken. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) You know, these are important distinctions, you know, that we make. So of the things that like are good for us and the things that are could be better for us. So you find out you're pregnant in April. It's the middle of a pandemic. You're shocked, I'm sure. And then tell me like how your first trimester goes.
1: First trimester was very easy. I can't really complain. No morning sickness pretty smooth going. Our 12-week visit, ultras, we had the ultrasound. Baby was looking great. Heart rate was great. So pretty smooth, pretty smooth.
0: I should not ask this question, but I am going to because I think it's relevant, actually, to this conversation. But how old are you?
1: I'm 37. Oh, okay. Just turned 37.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is going to tie in to all of the things that I want to share about tonight. Okay. So then... What happens? Because something happened.
1: Something happened. Oh, boy. So my son loves Panda Express. So we did a lunch date with my husband at his job, and we grabbed some Panda Express on the way. We were sitting outside, just having a nice little picnic. And all of a sudden, I just, I don't feel quite right. Like, I have, like, this burning, weird sensation in my ribs and I can't quite figure out what's going on. Is it indigestion? Is it heartburn? I've never had either of those before, so I'm not really sure. And I don't eat anything else. I kind of wrap things up with lunch. We start driving home the whole ride home. I'm getting these constant, just dabbing, burning pains. They start growing in my back I feel like I can't breathe, like I'm being strangled. And we get home and I'm breaking out into sweats. I don't know what's going on. Immediately, I think, oh, no, is it my appendix? What could it be? I message my midwife and just kind of give her a brief synopsis of what I'm feeling. Like, hey, do you think I should just chill out, take a bath? Do you think I need to go to urgent care? What do I do? She writes back you know, it could be your gallbladder and it sounds like gallstones. And I think you need to go in somewhere like right now. And I'm like, okay, great. What am I going to do with my four-year-old? So I text my husband and I said, I I need to go to urgent care. So I call urgent care. They don't do ultrasounds for potential gallbladder issues. So they suggest I go to the ER and I'm thinking, oh no, it's COVID. It's COVID last thing I want to do is go to the ER. And so I basically have my husband rush home to grab both of us. And he drops us off at the ER and him and my son go to a friend's house down the street from the hospital. And that's kind of where it all starts.
0: Oh my gosh. I am now sweating and having heart palpitations because it's bringing back I guess there's a little trauma associated with when my gallbladder died. It just died so similarly to the way that you are speaking about it. And so I am dying to know what happened next. Well, first of all, what month was this? This was in July. Okay. This is so funny. I think we were like soul sisters in the universe because this is when mine died. July, like... 23rd or something like that is when mine died. Different than yours, Regina. So many things. But my gallbladder had been burning me for three years. Oh, wow. And after, since I had given birth. So it, it like kind of started in pregnancy, at the end of pregnancy. And I went for this ultrasound, normal. Blood work, normal. Every time I went to the doctor, every three months or so, I'm like, something is wrong with my gallbladder. And then they would do another scan and they were like, no. And I was like, oh, you don't understand. Like, I'm not crazy. So so finally, like three years later, one of the scans pops on me. That's like, your gallbladder is about to go. And I scheduled, because I wasn't currently having an attack, I scheduled the surgery for that Thursday. And that Monday was kind of like a Panda Express incident, you know, (laughs) like (laughs) with the sweating and the rib pain and the burning. And it was like 10 times more powerful than any of this little things I've had for three years, you know, that just kind of came and went. And I also ended up in the ER at the end of July. Okay. So, but I was not pregnant. So you walk in and are you like, I'm pregnant?
1: Yes, like literally the first thing I say, like, I'm pregnant and I'm having some pains, and my midwife thinks it's my gallbladder. So thankfully, I went in knowing it could be something specific. So then they went straight away into the ultrasound room, which was okay. fantastic. Because I've heard horror stories where they, kind of overlook it or they miss it. So I think number one, it helped that I was pregnant and I was kind of showing and that I hinted at a possible gallbladder issue.
0: Yeah, this is really good advocacy. And I'm so glad that your midwife was like tuned in right there. I mean, that's like really amazing because when you're not pregnant, you sit in the waiting room in covid for eight hours, because you're not important to anyone. So I'm so glad you went right back. So are, like at this point, what level of pain are you in?
1: I'm really at like, I feel like I have a decently high pain tolerance, but okay. I was at an eight.
0: Like oh, it was okay.
1: double over. Like I just felt like I was going to explode. Yeah. It, it was very, well, and you obviously know that pain. It was constant. I could get no relief. Yeah, every position I tried did not help.
0: So did you vomit?
1: I did not. Okay, no, that's good.
0: <laughs> I was like, check. That's one good thing. So right away, I mean, I'm imagining like an ultrasound tech, like doing the ultrasound and then just like dropping it. Like, oh god, you know, like was it less dramatic than that? Yeah, a okay. l- little
1: less dramatic. Maybe that's how I felt. <laughs> like, complete mic drop, <laughs> but. I mean, it was really quick. Literally, the hospital visit itself was maybe an hour and a half. When okay. And they got their results. They did blood work as well. But as soon as I got back into my little ER waiting room, they came back and said, you've got gallstones, let's schedule a surgery.
0: So they didn't do it emergently? No. Okay. No. What did they do to solve your pain problem?
1: Nothing. Oh. <gasps> Nothing. They oh. said... They said you'll meet with a surgeon tomorrow, and for now, go on a low-fat diet, no more than five grams of fat per meal.
0: Which, Fine. I'd be like, I'm not even, at this level eight pain. I'm not going to eat any food. Exactly.
1: I said, well, I'm pregnant. How am I supposed, to, what am I supposed to
0: eat? Oh, my gosh. I'm very confused right now because I know... Like, I'm trying to put myself in this, like, I, you are gracious with your level eight. I would have said 100. My pain level was 100, okay? Natural childbirth was a one, and this gallbladder was a 100. I mean, it wasn't even on, like, I was like, pain, childbirth is no longer painful in my mind after going through this gallbladder experience. And so did it just stop? I mean, like, I'm so it, confused.
1: Right. It's weird. It did. While I was there, my pain went away. Okay. And so then for the next week, they, we scheduled surgery for the following week. So my pain would come and go.
0: Probably Thankfully. as you were passing stones. Yes. If anyone is interested in what a gallstone is or what a gallbladder does, I am not a doctor. I cannot tell you that. So you're going to have to Google it. Maybe I'll link it in the show notes, but does something with processing bile and fat And it's an important organ if you you eat that. It's a really an important organ and I really don't know much more about it. It's on the right (laughs) side of your body next to your bile duct, right? Right. What do you know about the gallbladder, Regina?
1: The only thing I knew going into it was it's bright green.
0: Ooh, see, I'm still learning.
1: Yes, it is bright green. And again, we can live without it, but it does process the bile that goes into our, gets flushed through our liver. So obviously... It's important for that, but you can live without it, but it does put a strain on your liver Yeah. once you get it removed. So
0: yes, we can talk yeah. a little bit more about that in a minute. I've never drank alcohol again because it scares me too much. I'll be honest. When they told me that, I was like, well, I guess I just won't drink again because I'm too afraid of what will happen. So you're so lucky in a sense, like you have this acute attack, let's say. And it lasts for several hours and then it goes away. So that next week, were you afraid it was going to happen again?
1: Yes. Everything I put into my mouth. I was afraid to eat. I was basically starving. I went to the grocery store and you're reading every single label. Okay, how much fat does this have? The doctor explicitly said, even healthy fat, no avocado, no eggs, no nuts. Like you name it, the things that I was used to kind of eating as far as, you know, extra protein and healthy fats, it was just a no-go.
0: Yeah. So
1: that next week was pretty miserable. And then obviously 24 hours before, or sorry, 12 hours before my surgery, I could not eat or drink anything, not even water.
0: And you're pregnant.
1: And I'm pregnant. And I called the night before and said, I just want to make sure I'm reading this right. It says no water. Can I survive without water? Can my baby be okay without? So I was panicked.
0: I'd be like, can I come in for IV fluids? Right. You know, like
1: something.
0: So, oh my gosh, I bet your husband was so worried, I bet. Were you worried about the baby?
1: I was. That was probably the only thing I was worried about. So when they first said surgery, I'm thinking, oh, heck no, no way. But after talking with my surgeon, she said, number one, this is the best time to have the surgery. Your uterus is still small. I can still do it Mm -hmm. laparoscopically. It's a very quick surgery. The only thing she couldn't do that she normally would do for the surgery was use the dye to highlight the parts of the gallbladder where she needs to clip and cut. So She also mentioned that it could get worse during pregnancy. And if it gets inflamed and it could rupture, you could lose the baby. You could have an emergency C-section. There were so many risks that, you know, the benefit of having the surgery was definitely a priority if I wanted to make sure I had a smooth rest of my pregnancy. But she said it's also a risk because you could lose the baby during the surgery. And
0: from general anesthesia
1: that, and just, she says, because, you know, I was only 15 weeks pregnant at the time. Mm -hmm. And if anything were to happen, the baby wasn't viable. And that kind of stuck in my mind. She did say, we'll make sure we monitor the baby before surgery. And right after we won't use the laughing gas kind of funny nitrous um, oxide. Right. Yeah. That's it. Okay. So. I just basically was wheeled into the operating room fully awake. They checked on the baby right before they put me under. So that was refreshing. And then right as I came awake, the OB did another monitor on baby and baby was fine. So that was kind of the relief from after surgery. So the
0: person doing the surgery is a, is a general surgeon and yes, they are working with an your obstetrician, who's also a surgeon but does different surgeries. Right. Now, was your midwife involved in the care? She was not. So,
1: my midwife is about close to an hour from where we live. Okay. So, she was not there for the actual surgery or anything. She did get sent all of my notes, surgery notes and everything.
0: Now, the reason she's an hour away is because she's a home birth midwife? Yes, she I'm is. assuming. Okay. Yeah. So, did you have a home birth with Kai?
1: I did not. I had a hospital birth with Kai. It was still, you know, all natural, no medications with Kai. But it always been on my heart that I wanted to do a home birth. That did not happen with Kai.
0: Okay. So tell me about recovery. Like when you woke up, what was the first thing you thought?
1: First thing I thought was my baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was literally the first thing I said, is the baby Okay. And they were right there listening to the heartbeat. So that made me feel much better. Thankfully, my husband was able to be in the recovery room for pre-op and afterwards. So he was the first person that I saw, basically, after I heard the baby's heartbeat, which was great. Going home was kind of rough, just the car ride. Thankfully, that gallbladder group we were in gave some really great tips on how to survive the next couple days. They gave me some pain medication, but I did not
0: take it. I just... I know. Audience, my eyes just popped out of my head.
1: I'm so weird about taking medicine, especially while being pregnant. So I just wanted to kind of tough through and just see how I could manage. That part of recovery was okay. The pain was manageable for me. However, I was so scared to eat. I was so nervous. So the first thing I ate was soup, which was great. And then an hour later, I threw it up and that was that was really rough because knowing you had that surgery on your abdomen and then you're just bringing all that all that pain back while you're throwing up, and that was really rough. That was my first night, and that was
0: very rough like it hurts to cough and sneeze. Anyone who's listening right now who's had a cesarean section understands like what we're talking about over here, like. Imagine getting out of C-section surgery and then puking. (laughs) like Not not good. Oh, my goodness. How many days till you kind of felt like I can get up and go to the bathroom by myself?
1: Well, that's another interesting part of it. For some reason, my bladder wasn't emptying like it should. So the next day I had to go back in and they put a catheter in.
0: To drain, just to drain your bladder? To
1: drain my bladder. Mm -hmm. And then she also wanted to keep it in for two days. So I went home with the catheter.
0: So curious about this. Is that just a side effect from anesthesia, you think? Like your bladder was just a little sleepy? Yep,
1: that's exactly what the surgeon was thinking. She also said that just being pregnant, it could just be, you know, babies on your bladder. Like it's just affecting it more. Okay. And it's funny, that's kind of the first time I felt baby start moving. I joke that baby was trying to kick the catheter out. Like, what in the <laughs> heck are you doing down there?
0: <laughs> so, you were able to go home with the catheter?
1: I was, yes.
0: Okay. I was. And then, this is too much information, but like, did you pull the catheter your, out yourself when you were I did
1: not. That? I okay. went back into the, the hospital to get it removed. Okay
0: probably yeah, the I don't safest think I thing. Could do that <laughs> yeah, like probably the safest thing. I mean, like you could, you know, but right. You know, just in case. Oh gosh, for everyone listening out there, gallbladder surgery is this is a major thing and it's a major surgery. This is major abdominal surgery. I had five incisions in my abdomen. How many did you have, Regina? I had four. Okay.
1: So not not bad. Um, mm-hmm. And they were they were really little and they were healing great and that's a, another thing with pregnancy and having surgeries is that with hormones you just don't know how your body's going to react to certain things so I actually had a reaction to the dermabond that they used of so course, I broke out like a, of course you did so I broke out into a rash around my incisions as the dermabond was peeling but this was four weeks after surgery when this rash developed all over my incisions and then spreads into a full belly rash that lasted about three weeks. And because my hormones were just all over the place, my body couldn't figure out how to attack the rash. So it built a second rash around the rash. I went through a lot of crazy things, trying to figure out topical things to use, they put me on prednisone, just trying to get this rash to go away, which is another scary thing when you're pregnant is taking prednisone and using topical things that aren't necessarily dangerous during pregnancy, but still don't have enough information about whether it does pose a risk to baby. So that was a stressor throughout my recovery.
0: Yeah, especially when your baby's so young and still developing, you know? I would be nervous too, coming from someone who's having a home birth and doesn't want all those medical interventions and drugs to begin with. Someone who refused pain medicine, Regina, after gallbladder surgery. I, however, everyone listening, took a lot of Dilaudid and that's fine because I was not pregnant. So, this might be something that's interesting to our audience is that our immune systems are suppressed when we are pregnant significantly. We are so susceptible to illness, infection, viruses. But the reason that our immune system is so suppressed is so that we don't attack our baby, that our body doesn't think that we're like sick and then attack, goes to attack our baby. So, this is some beautiful thing our body does. So that we can grow a human. But when we're pregnant, we're just at a higher risk for getting weird things like a random unexplained (laughs) rash, unexplained everything. In pregnancy, it's just like unexplained. I don't know.
1: Everything (laughs) just
0: happened, right? So eventually you heal around what week do you feel like you're kind of back to yourself?
1: Probably right around 21, 22 weeks. The rash is gone. I'm eating and I can eat any and everything, which was also a worry because some people will eat and immediately rush to the bathroom. And that was a fear of mine too. I still wanted all of these good nutrients for me and my baby and just being afraid of what could cause issues for my liver or am I still going to have like a phantom gallbladder attack? or what what's my body going to do now that it's trying to figure out hey she's missing an organ
0: coming from the perspective of not being pregnant and trying to figure out what to eat it was really difficult and i think that the support groups are really helpful i did not put anything in my mouth that didn't come from a recommendation from that group on <laughs> like people saying <laughs> i tried this on day one through five and this worked okay and then other people would be like don't do eggs don't even think about eggs for the first five days but really stressful if you're pregnant and and really concerned about miscarriage and and getting enough so I'm super curious so you said 22 weeks but that's gestation so that would have been about six or seven weeks after surgery yeah yeah that's about right it's about for myself, it was about six weeks till I felt like I could go back to work and like I wasn't dying every time I stood up. And according to this group that we were in, you know, that seems to be pretty typical. You, you know, if you're having gallbladder surgery, you need to be out of work six, seven, eight weeks, something like that. What did you eat?
1: Great question. I was more on the adventurous side because I felt like I would starved my body for a week. And my surgeon said, Eat whatever you want. Eat like you normally would. She said, Your body's got to learn this new digestive process. And the only way to do that is to eat like you normally would. And your body will slowly start to figure out what to do without your gallbladder. So the second day, I ate pizza and I was totally fine. And
0: wow. Okay. I
1: was kind of shocked. So then I just slowly got even more adventurous. And I had coffee on day three. Okay. and
0: Which they don't of- suggest for like a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, pizza is like you're never supposed to eat again. <laughs> right. Right. Uh. So
1: I just kind of went with what I was craving. I was craving a lot of dairy while I was pregnant. So I went for all the cheeses, which a lot of people say will cause attacks. And I just kind of counteracted it with smaller portions at a time to see how my body would react lots of water to kind of help flush things through that I think helped as well. But I was still just testing. I would, I actually in my notes in my phone, I would write down what I ate and I'd put a little check Mark if it was an okay food, like my body was fine with it. Oh, that's so smart. I would just kind of go through my little, you know, daily routine of eating and then checking my box, whether it was an okay food or not. And there were some foods that weren't okay. Okay.
0: Have you ever tried those foods again?
1: I just had Panda last week for the first time (laughs) since. And I was so nervous.
0: Oh my goodness. And
1: I survived.
0: (laughs) I can't believe it. I am interrupting this amazing birth story to remind you about Melissa Euler coaching and thanking her for sponsoring this episode. The way you can get a hold of Melissa is by going to melissayuler.com. That is M-E-L-I-S-S-A-U-H-L-I-R.com or following her on Instagram at melissayuler. And don't forget, if you book a discovery call, mention Birth Story Podcast for a free one-on-one coaching session with her, a $200 value if you book a package with her. All right, now back to this birth story. So my the food that killed my gallbladder this is this is for real was cauliflower rice and black beans. That's what I ate for dinner that night. I will never eat the combination of <laughs> cauliflower rice and black beans again. For anyone listening, your gallbladder usually dies after a high fat meal. I'm going to call you out Regina like panda, okay? <laughs> <laughs> this isn't like low fat Chinese food over no. here. And so here I was like, I, is there any fat in black beans? I don't even know. And no fat in rice cauliflower. So I don't know. I think mine was just dying a slow death for a long time. And then <laughs> the black beans. R.I.P. And,
1: it was time. Yeah. <laughs>
0: cauliflower rice just sent it over the edge. Oh, it's so funny. I think it's a really good suggestion what you said about writing it down though. And like giving yourself a check mark for things that feel good and other things that don't feel good. I hope that no one is listening to this podcast that's pregnant and has a gallbladder attack. But I wanted to record this episode because there were so many women who responded to my post. Like, I was like, has anybody been pregnant and had this happen? And it was like hand up after hand up. I mean, it was crazy. So the very little bit of research I did on gallbladders, this is what I learned. fertile fat. And 40s, the Fs, they said the F words. Those are your risk factors. So fertile, like you're pregnant, you've just had a baby. So this is typically when gallbladders die while we're pregnant or right after we've given birth. Very interesting. In your 40s and people with a high fat diet. I'm going to throw myself under the bus. I'm in my 40s. I was a few years postpartum and I'm fat. So just a little overweight. I'm going to say that, not bad, but just a teensy bit overweight. I'm still holding on to my baby weight and he's five years old. So so I checked all of those boxes and Regina, for you, you were in the fertility category. So I think it's the pregnancy, right? They concluded because right. you're not in your forties and you're a fit, healthy female athlete that eats pretty well when she's not eating panda. Right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> They could sponsor this ad. It or sponsor this episode (laughs) at this point. This is so funny. Okay, well, I am dying now to get into your birth story. So I love talking home birth. I love hearing home birth stories. I have a home birth coming up in a couple of weeks with a client, Sarah. I'm just so excited for her upcoming home birth. And so, tell me a little bit about making the transition from. You birthed at a hospital, and yeah, it was unmedicated and all of that. But it's a different thing to go birth at home. So, can you share with the audience if anyone's listening that maybe is pregnant with number two, three, four, and they've birthed at the hospital? Like, what went into that decision, and how did you get to that place of uh, birthing at home?
1: Well, I think I touched on a little bit that it's just always been on my heart that I envision myself having a home birth. I've had friends who have had them, and just you know, in my mind, just a slow, calm birth at home and you get to stay at home with your fresh little baby. That just has always stuck in my mind. And I had a great experience birthing at the hospital with Kai. So that's definitely it didn't change my mindset of, oh, I can't go to hospital again. But I think COVID also played a part in knowing that home birth was definitely the best option for us as well. At the time, partners weren't allowed to go in for appointments or ultrasounds. They were limiting the partner as far as when you're actually going into labor and going into the hospital. So I couldn't have a doula. And that was really important for me as well. And honestly, my husband was kind of on board with a home birth too. And he was pretty excited. And I think that that just made the decision that much easier.
0: You are one of thousands that found themselves in this situation. And as we're recording this, February 2021, I mean, sadly, we're still in this reality. In Charlotte, North Carolina, our largest hospital system, Atrium, just opened the doors to a second partner. So now you can have your partner and you can have your mom, your sister, your doula, something. Like I come from a school of thought that everyone deserves to have as many people in that room as they want to have in that room and i'll take 2 for now you know one was good but i'm like i'll take 2 but so many i have more home birth clients the city has more home birth clients this year than i mean ever before because people are like no thank you for your rules if my partner cannot be involved in my care and in my advocacy then I'm not safe. So I'm not coming here. So I love that there was a lot of different moving parts for you. Tell me about the midwifery model of care in your area. What was it like to have visits from a midwife for a home birth?
1: It was pretty amazing. I forgot how different it is from when you're seeing just an OB at a practice. Well, first of all, there's like 12 OBs. And you get, you know, a short, short period of time with them face to face. A lot of it's you know, spent in the waiting room or like during COVID, you're spending time in your car until you get called in to your appointment. So with the midwife, it was fantastic. I got a full hour face to face with her. You become friends in a sense. You start to learn each other's personalities. And obviously that's really great because they're going to be birthing with you. So for me, it was just a comfort. I was excited about every single appointment because I knew we could just talk about any and everything. And I felt like I was being heard. With my pregnancy with Kai, my appointments were so short. I felt like I never got a a real chance to express how I was feeling or ask questions because I felt really rushed the whole time. So having a midwife here during this pregnancy was so different and so refreshing.
0: If I could just do it one more time, you know? Uh, I totally would do a home birth, but now I'm, now I'm too. Well, it's not that I'm too old. I'm not. Never gonna say know. That, but <laughs> now I'm single, though. I was like, i have lost. So now I'm single, and yeah, it's not gonna happen. And I'm like, forty-ish something years old. So anyway, but if I could do it again, I think uh, home birth is definitely the way to go. Some of my favorite home birth podcasts. For everyone listening to this podcast, you clearly like podcasts. The Happy Home Birth Podcast is a great one. And doing it at home with Matthew and Sarah Bivens. They're amazing. Is there any other home birth podcast or book you recommend?
1: I mean, obviously your podcast is fantastic. Thank and you. I did listen to the Happy Home Birth and doing it at home. So I had you three just kind of on repeat throughout my drive through town.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for listening. It just warms my heart. So let's hear all about like, how did you know you were in labor?
1: Oh, well, this is fun. So I went a little bit over with Kai, I went 40 and five with Kai. Okay. So I knew that I probably would not go into labor early. My midwife also said, don't expect to go early. <laughs> my husband because he is a college basketball coach, it was the middle of his season and he's he was traveling a bunch. So we were trying to coordinate with his schedule. If I did go past 40 weeks, if we would try to do any natural induction things to get baby going, because it was very important for me, for my husband to be at home with me, laboring with me and be there for the birth of our child. I hit 41 weeks, still no baby. My husband... He had a basketball game coming up, which was about four hours away. So we were trying to coordinate what, what's going to happen. My anxiety's like through the roof. Like if he goes to the game, I'm going to go into labor. I know it. He won't make it back. So it's kind of panic on my end. His boss ends up saying, just stay home until you have a baby. Just don't come back until you have a baby. So 41 weeks and I'm going in for my ultrasound. Because my midwife requires that once you hit 41 weeks, just to do a biophysical ultrasound to make sure baby's good, my fluids are good, to make sure nothing's going on that could cause you know, something that she needs to be worried about. So I was feeling pretty down on myself. I had had some prodromal labor a couple days before. I did try castor oil and nothing happened other than I basically sat in the bathroom for the whole day.
0: That's interesting by the way because I would like to do some research on castor oil if you don't have a gallbladder. I don't know there. I was like now that I'm thinking about it that seems like that wouldn't be a great mix. But anyway, yeah. I'm going to put my little note, you know. I'm going to put a little note. Let's talk about let's research castor oil if you have no gall- gallbladder.
1: We dr- my husband drives me to Roanoke, which is about 45 minutes, 45 minutes to an hour from our house. And on the drive there, I start getting these contractions and they felt pretty strong, but manageable. I thankfully brought my headphones with me because I am a hypno advocate. I have my scripts ready at all times during the ultrasound. I'm having some pretty strong contractions. They're coming a little bit quicker baby checks out fine. So then we head to my midwife's appointment, which is maybe 10 minutes away. And at this point, I'm thinking this is something, something weird. Like this is a little different than the prodromal labor I was having a couple of days prior. Get to my midwife. She checks me out. She says, I I don't, I don't think you're in labor. I think you're, you know, in the beginning of labor, but nothing that I think you're going to have this baby right now. I Allow her to just check check me, check my cervix. she wanted to see if it was softening, and I wasn't really concerned about how dilated I was, but I was two centimeters dilated, which she suspected, but I was seventy percent effaced, and my contractions start coming a little quicker, and when I left, she thought that my water may have broken on the table, so she cancels her appointments for the rest of the day, and she says. Once your contractions get stronger because you're so far effaced, it could go pretty quick as far as baby. This was around, just to give a timeline, this was around 4 p.m. that day. And we still have an hour drive home. So we leave. I go to my chiropractor really quick to get one last little adjustment. And at that point, contractions are probably every two minutes. And they're getting much stronger. The car ride home was pretty rough. We were worried about hitting five o'clock traffic on the highway. (laughs) And on my way there, I text my doula, who is also my chiropractor. Her and her husband have a practice together. And I said, can you just come over? Because I think they're starting to get really strong. And I'm not able to talk through them as well as I was earlier. So we get home around 530. My doula comes at six and then around 630, I call my midwife. And after listening to me, she says, you need to fill up your birth pool right now or you're not going to be able to get in. So that's kind of how that happened.
0: <laughs> wow. So your are this un- starts to unfold like really, really quickly,
1: really quick, fast and furious.
0: OK, are you scared?
1: I am. I think I'm. I'm not quite in the right mindset because I woke up that morning feeling sorry for myself that I hadn't gone into labor. And again, I felt sorry for myself at the appointment because things weren't, I mean, two centimeters, you can go from two to 10 in an hour, you just never okay. know. But I didn't really feel like I was in full-blown labor yet. So I was starting to get a little panicked, especially when she said, you need to hurry up and fill the tub.
0: Yeah. And you, I know that you like, when you call for your doula, it's serious time, right? Right. My clients are really good about keeping me asleep in the middle of the night. Like they know, like, do not wake me up unless you are like (laughs) actually in labor, you know? And so I know when they call me, like it's serious time, like they, they've pushed it off and pushed it off until it's serious. So she came right away. It sounds like she she got there really fast.
1: She did. And her husband gave me my last adjustment. So apparently when I left the chiropractor, he said, Regina is going to call you any second now yeah. because it's the real deal.
0: Wow. Okay. Did you get the pool? Like, did it get filled up? It what did. Happened? It got filled up
1: super fast. And I just remember I had my headphones in and I'm laboring in our nursery, which is where the pool was. And the pool was ready, but my midwife wasn't there. And I kept saying, can I get in the pool? Like, can I get in the pool? And my husband and my doula were like, you have to wait. You you need to wait for Kristen, your midwife. She wants to to check you before you get in the pool. And I'm like, gosh, I just want to get in the pool really bad. Finally, she gets there. She checks, baby. Baby sounds good. I get to hop in the pool, which I thought would bring me more relief, but it didn't. It just made my contractions even stronger
0: which obviously is a good thing. Mhm. So I love that you're doing hypno babies. That's different than hypno birthing, which I think I've addressed on the podcast several times. I am a certified hypno babies doula. That's what I do. And it is very powerful. It helps you get into a deep state of relaxation through self-guided hypnosis or partner guided hypnosis too. Okay. Your midwife checked on baby. Did she check your cervix?
1: No, she didn't. Not when she first got there. Nope. She just checked on baby.
0: Okay. So your contractions have been two to three-ish minutes apart. They're really strong. And you climb into the water and you said they got even stronger.
1: They did. And I had always in my mind thought that once I got in the tub, because a lot of friends said it would slow their contractions down. So I thought I would kind of get a little moment of, I guess, peace or just a break from it. But they picked up even stronger and they were starting to get even closer together and longer. That, again, like got me going as far as yeah. like, this is really happening.
0: Do you have any concept of like what time it was now? No, okay, I don't.
1: In my <laughs> mind, I felt like it had to be like 10 o'clock at night, but I knew it was closer to six thirty or seven when she got there. So okay. I did know that, but
0: okay. so it was it was going really fast, I was gonna say, so what happens next? Like, did your partner get in the tub with you?
1: He didn't. He did not want to get in, okay. so I That's respected fair. that decision. Probably maybe fifteen, twenty minutes after being in the tub, she could tell that contractions were spacing out a little bit. So she, because I had my headphones on. She would tell my husband to tell me stuff and that's kind of how I labored. So she would say she needs to go in this position. So she suggested that I, I need to have five contractions on the toilet. And I was not happy about that at all. I
0: no was, one ever like, is.
1: I was pouty faced. I said, I can't, I don't want to do it. With the toilet don't make do it. And my husband's like, you have to, we got to get baby down. And I'm like, fine. So you did it. Yes, I did it. Yeah. And then afterwards she asked if I would like to be checked and I said, sure. I, I kind of just wanted to see where I was at if I was making progress and I was a hundred percent effaced. I was five centimeters and I thought that's it. And she said, you're, you're, you're making a lot of progress. And I'm thinking that's nothing. (laughs) Like, I feel like
0: Oh, see, as a doula, I'm like, that's a lot, Regina. I'm like, you went from 70% of face, which is still, you know, thick cervix, to totally thinned out and you burst open all the way to five. So zero to five is like the longest part, you know, Okay. five to 10 is like, you know, (laughs) butter melts right open. I don't know how your story ends, but typically... 5 to 10 goes, you know, very quickly and 0 to 5 takes a long time. So if I'm your doula, I would have been like high-fiving you like, this is amazing, that's so much progress. And I would have made you stay on the toilet, so.
1: Yeah, yep, and that's what they did. I went back on the toilet for a bit. And then once I got off the toilet, she had checked on baby and there were a couple of D-cells in between contractions so not during contractions
0: okay this is what Um, we call lates you have a contraction it ends and then your baby's heart has a deceleration so that's called a late it's typically a red flag
1: so she wants to check me again and I'm fully complete she's having my doula do something crazy with my legs because baby hasn't hasn't dropped completely into my pelvis. She needs baby to drop pretty quickly. So that was on my bed. And then she, again, my headphones are on. So I'm kind of in my zone, not really knowing what's going on. So I remember that they wanted me to get in a deep squat. They rushed me off the bed and said, squat this next contraction. Let's see if you can move baby down. And as I'm squatting. My water, I guess, fully breaks completely and there's meconium and baby's heart decels again and my husband goes to warm up the car and my doula, thankfully, she was so calm and kept me like still in my zone and I'm trying to put clothes on. I'm like, should I put my underwear on? Should I put pants on? And they're like, no, we have to go. Like we need to go right now. So I just threw on my fuzzy robe and my Ugg boots and it's freezing cold. It had just snowed a couple of days ago. We get into my car, my midwife. I remember her saying, I brought a bunch of towels in case she has baby in the car because my body's, you know, actively starting to push during contractions. And the hospital is maybe a 10 minute drive. My husband, I think made it in five on the highway.
0: <laughs> of course he did.
1: My midwife is in the back seat, calling the hospital, letting them know what's happening, that we're on our way. So as soon as we pull up there, they're ready and waiting for us. So I get out in my robe and UGG boots and I, I walk into the hospital.
0: I have to take a breather with you right now. Right now, I'm mourning, right? Like the loss of what just got taken away from you. But I'm also don't hear these birth stories in advance. So I don't know what you're about to tell me happens. Right? Right. So whew, I just, maybe everybody else in the audience too, also needs to take a deep breath with me. But wow, that must've been very, very scary.
1: Yes. I think looking back, it it's more surreal because again, I was in my zone. So in the moment I did not know what was going on. I didn't realize that maybe I I could lose baby. I don't know. Maybe I just, I had no idea. I just thought we were just going to the hospital and everything would be okay. But looking back and talking with my husband and midwife and doula, it was very serious, scary situation that was happening. And this was around 9.15 at night was
0: when we got to the hospital. And you had only been in labor for five hours. Right. Or something. Okay. So they're waiting for you, which is amazing. Your midwife was super proactive. She had great communication. She was fantastic.
1: And she knew that she would not be able to come in with us. And she said, you can FaceTime me. I want to be an advocate for you, whatever you need. Just make sure that you know I'm here for you, even though I'm physically not going to be able to walk in with you.
0: Yeah. Was your doula able to walk in with you or just your husband? He was
1: not, just my
0: husband. F COVID and these dumb, whatever, this isn't the right time to go off on that tangent, but you deserve continuous labor support with your birth team, regardless of a transfer to the hospital. Like, put some PPE on. We're going to be okay here, but I digress. Absolutely. So, this hospital team is ready for you. They okay. are. Tell me about yep. how you're received as a home birth transfer at the hospital.
1: So I was worried about that. Like I thought maybe there was a stigma that they might initially say, well, why is she even trying to do this home birth? And here she is, of course. So I was a bit worried. I knew that I could handle being a big advocate for myself. As I walk in, I, I'm on the, the stretch of the gurney. They wheel me in. And obviously they're asking a bunch of intake questions. I still have my headphones in. They want to know about my surgeries that I've had in the past and you name it. They wouldn't let my husband answer. So I'm answering and I'm still, you know, my body's uncontrollably still pushing baby down. Once we get in the room, the next contraction, she wanted to just get me to just start pushing. And they had strapped, you know, monitor on me and monitor on baby. They were just monitoring the heart rate, which was fine once we got there. After my first contraction, I'm pushing babies a still in a weird, awkward position. It was on the right side of my pelvis. So I'm kind of sidelined. They wanted to get me in stirrups and I said, no, thank you. And so I'm sidelined because it felt the best for me. Then there's another D cell baby's heart rate got pretty low. And she says, you have to push right now. We have to get this baby out. And as I'm pushing The heart rate dips even more and the last second she had to vacuum him out.
0: Okay. But she got him out. She got him out. She got him out. Right then. Yes. Uh, The word that comes to mind right there is brilliant. Okay. So she saved him, you know? Absolutely.
1: Amazing. It was right from the time I got in that room until baby came out, it was less than 10 minutes. It was very fast and furious. And at one point I even said out loud during that last push, I said, I think I'm going to pass out because it was just, yeah, it was just so taxing and everything happened so fast. Then I heard vacuum and I just, my mind was just kind of just mush. It was just all crazy to me.
0: Prior to that moment, did you know what a vacuum was?
1: I did. I also instantly thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to completely tear if they're going to vacuum this bad boy out.
0: Um, Possible. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Thankfully, I did not.
0: Thankfully. Okay. Um, so can you explain the vacuum to everybody listening, like what, that, what, what that's like?
1: Honestly, I, I didn't really, I couldn't tell. I remember she asked my husband if they could use the vacuum. If necessary, and my husband I'm saying no, and my husband's saying, yes, anything you can do to make sure baby's okay because at this point he thought baby was not gonna make it. I think the heart rate got down to maybe in the sixties. it was pretty low,
0: yep, that's really low, mm-hmm. which is
1: very scary, so the vacuum i I didn't feel anything, and it happened really quick. I just remember you know the head was crowning pretty well and she was able to get the vacuum just enough around my cervical. I guess I had a cervical lip. She got it just around enough to suck them out the rest of the way.
0: Wow. Pretty good OB.
1: Amazing. And I will say the hospital we were at, because while I was getting on my intake questions in my mind, I'm saying, okay, I want to keep my placenta. And I'm telling them out loud, like, we don't know, we don't know the sex of the baby. So I want my husband to tell me when the baby comes out. And I'm just listing off all of these things that I knew I wanted. And I was afraid that if I didn't advocate right then, I would miss out on it. Because not that my birth plans got ruined, but it was a bittersweet, surreal moment that I wasn't having this beautiful home birth I planned in my mind.
0: Regina, I just want to tell everybody listening right now, I mean, this is not to say anything. Your doula was amazing and your home birth midwife was amazing and all that. Everybody runs our practices a little bit different. All of my home birth clients have a hospital birth plan and we've got it tucked away. And I hope we never use it but I have an online form that I have everyone fill out and it's all their birth preferences if they end up at the hospital. So it down to cesarean section. If we end up at the hospital and you have to have a cesarean section, you want EKG leads on your back? You want to do vaginal seeding? You know, I mean, things like we may not be able to think of in the moment. And so if anyone's listening and you're planning a home birth, there's no harm in having a written birth plan for the hospital, even though you're probably not going to end up there, you might. And if you do, why not have a plan for it? Same thing with my clients that come to me and they say, I'm going to have an unmedicated natural birth at the hospital. Great. We're going to write a cesarean plan just in case too. So if I could go back in time for you, it would have been nice if we just had a little piece of paper we could have pulled out with all those wishes.
1: It's funny you said that because I had one. And we didn't even bring Bring it. it? And I thought I should have had an electronic version, like use like a form or that my husband could have had on his phone or anything, because again, you don't plan for it, but you still have to plan for it. And we didn't plan obviously to bring it.
0: (laughs) That's a great point. And so I'm learning and changing my practice right now as we're talking. I'm going to start screenshotting my birth plans to photographs. So that just in case something funny happens and like it's like, a th- you know, six weeks in advance and I end up there, that would be helpful to have a screenshot of the birth plan so you could just throw them your phone, you know,
1: <laughs> read this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Especially if, like we were in a rush, so we didn't even bring a hospital. Like my husband literally ran to the car.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. Or keep it in your car. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that advice. I think that's really good. So did you tear.
1: No tear. What? No tear. I was, I think the doctor and the nurse, they were all amazed because she said, okay, there was no tear. And the nurse said, really? So that was nice.
0: Yes. Your body was like, we've had enough stitches this pregnancy. (laughs) (laughs) No more. Thank you so much. When you were talking about like wheeling in on the gurney and they're like, have you had any previous surgeries? And I would have just been like, (laughs) gallbladder. Yeah. You know? Oh my gosh. What an amazing journey that you had. I mean, just the fertility part of this, this crazy gallbladder attack, a planned home birth with an unexpected transfer. I mean, goodness, Regina, you have an exciting life. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I wish I was really boring, but apparently during pregnancy, I am not.
0: This was a really exciting story. There was so much to learn. I think I'm going to have to like dissect a whole bunch of different parts of it and put it in the show notes too, because there's just, there's a lot in there. I'm so thankful for you and that we finally connected and that you were able to tell your story on this podcast, six weeks postpartum. I mean, thank you. Cause I know it's not easy to step away for over an hour to spend time with us. So it was really well, cool. Yeah. That was um, fantastic. Thanks. Thanks for sticking with us all the way to the end and listening to this incredible verse story. And thanks again to Melissa Euler of Melissa Euler Coaching for sponsoring this episode. If you find yourself at the end of this episode, wanting more, needing more, seeking more, for your life, for your transitions, for your personal goals. I urge you, reach out to Melissa for support at melissayuler.com, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-U-H-L-I-R.com, or on social at Melissa Euler. You guys, I'm serious. I had zero dollars two years ago, no job, stay-at-home mom, when I found out it was going to be just me. Today, just two years later, She helped me grow a more than six-figure business. I am thriving as a single mom, and I am so thankful for her coaching. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.